Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together, we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. America's two great pastimes collide on this podcast. It is baseball and making money from the dog days of summer through the October Classic. Greg Bases Peterson's going to be free swinging at the betting board as he tries to hit a grand slam for your bankroll. Now here is GP. It's super Saturday to one and all. Welcome into the Zuni Tequila Studios for MLB Overtime Betting. Greg Peterson. Coming at you once again with a tremendous show as we are going to have Monique. You may know her better as the Parlay Queen. She does terrific work out there for Covers.com. She's going to be joining me in the second segment. We're going to look at some of these games. We're going to look at some of the things that she's noticed in baseball in general. She does a lot of team hits and those sorts of bets, so that's going to be a lot of fun. In the final segment, I'm going to give you a side and total on every game on today's Las Vegas betting board and a little something I like to call touch them all. First things first, you guys tweeted in a couple questions, so you know what? You guys are going to be getting some answers on them. So you have questions, and Greg may or may not have any insight into them, but let's dive into the Twitter mailbag. Nick, who goes by the Twitter handle at how do I poker ass at GNRS41? I'm afraid I'm going to ask you a dumb question in parentheses. I swear I've read your pinned post, but I finally got the courage. Do you think that a difference in a player's ERA in day versus night games is relevant or just noise slash variance? This is something that I do think that maybe there's something to it if you notice a really, really long occurrence of it and things like that. But this is not something that I really look into very much because, for one... The whole question of day versus night game is something that is really unique because the cutoff, according to Major League Baseball, I think in the American League is 6 p.m. and I think in the National League is 5 p.m. So an American League pitcher 
could be pitching in a night game in which in the NL would be considered a day game or something like that. I'm not even sure how it works, but it's really dumb. It's one of those things where the NL and AL have a different sort of way of categorizing day and night games. And two, I just don't find that it matters very often. We know that the Chicago Cubs play a lot of day games, but a lot of times there aren't too many guys that pitch in a lot of day games if they're typically a nighttime pitcher because what we're noticing is that a lot of these guys that are pitching this Saturday have been pitching on past Saturdays and things like that. So they're sort of in that cycle where they're pitching on the same day. So some of these guys, they either pitch a lot of day games, they pitch a lot of night games. You don't find that much of a split for one. And two, I just don't find that it's something that really registers to me. Obviously, righties versus lefties, how they pitch to them and things like that really matter. But I just really don't find that there are a bunch of pitchers that they are nails during the nighttime, but during the daytime, they just absolutely stinks. By the way, would also like to clear up, that was not a dumb question at all. Please, please continue to tweet those in. This guy goes by a frog emoji and a cup of coffee. He is on Twitter at S-I-I-I-M-M-Y-Y, at GNRSquare81. LOL, what's more important when capping a game? I know that there's different cappers, but a trend that a team is 8-0 and zero after a day off or the actual players playing after a day off, LOL, very simple stuff, but thoughts? This is actually something that you want to look into. I've been doing more research on this myself. I have found that there are teams that are just straight dynamite after a day off. A lot of these teams are above 500 as well. So something that you want to look for is a team that has had a day off versus a team that has not had a day off. Because what we know is that when both teams have had a day off, well, that's going to really iron itself out. But some of these teams coming off a day off are just been absolutely tremendous. The Houston Astros are 11-0 after an off day. Obviously, they lose yesterday, but that was not after a day off. The Arizona Diamondbacks are 8-2. The LA Dodgers are 8-2. The Cleveland Indians are 9-3. There are very few teams that are below 500. Ironically enough, the Atlanta Braves are one of them. They're 2-10. The St. Louis Cardinals are 3-10. But there's some very interesting stuff here. And a lot of these teams, they are very good after a day off. So it's something I haven't looked at a lot personally. But now that you've brought it to my attention... I'm going to be looking at it more, so I actually not only appreciate the question, it's something I'm going to use in my handicapping personally. So it's one of those reasons why I always ask you guys to ask these Twitter questions because not only did you learn something, I learned something too. So I do appreciate that. Thank you so much. And then we've got a question here on catchers. This comes to me from a gentleman that goes by the name It's Over Johnny, and that is the handle at M-A-G-A-H-J at Squirty one Do you put any weight in different catchers stepping in, such as DeGrom getting the backup catcher for Friday? For one, I really don't think he got the backup catcher yesterday. I saw Wilson Ramos in the game, so I'm not sure about that, though Wilson Ramos has certainly been in and out of the game. And it does affect the way that I evaluate the lineup a little bit because some of these catchers we know, there are some that are great and some are awful. Tomas Nito of the New York Mets is sitting right around a 225, 230th. Wilson Ramos at 270. He's much more likely to be able to go yard, but unless if there's some big discrepancy, I really don't put a lot of stock into it. I know that you Darvish has actually been pitching much better this year whenever Victor Carantini has been behind the dish for him, but typically we find when a 
pitcher has a personal catcher, he is playing every single time that pitcher is out there. So you're able to correlate it. You're able to adjust the lineup accordingly. So it's not something I put a lot of stock into. It is something that I am aware of. So that way I can handicap that lineup accordingly just because we do know that there are a couple pitchers. They just perform better with that catcher and the teams, they certainly do know this. So I do appreciate those Twitter questions, you guys. Thank you so much. If you ever have one for the podcast, always tweet it in at GDNRSquirt1. Now let's take a look back at yesterday in what was just an absolutely insane day in baseball. Try to find some trends and try to become better handicap and try to become better handicappers from it. What happened yesterday? Let's go around the bases and find out. The Washington Nationals, who entered having won 25 of their last 35 games, wind up having a little bit of an implosion as they lose the Kansas City Royals by a count of 7-4. to The Royals wind up playing three runs in the 11th inning to be able to pull this one off, and they were able to do it without the long ball. In this one, the Kansas City Royals just did a good job with men in scoring position, going 4-12 of 12 in that regard. They also did wind up getting two stolen bases, a specialty of theirs, and they did so behind Brad Keller, who gave a good start in this one. Five and two-thirds innings, gives up only one run. That one run was a solo home run, as being able to supply that pop for the Washington Nationals. Trey Turner, Turner down for what, his seventh home run of the year, but then from there, the Kansas City Royals were able to cobble up five and a third innings while giving up three runs out of the bullpen. Ian Kennedy wound up blowing the game in the ninth inning, which allowed the game to get to extra innings. And then you also had Kevin McCarthy give up a run in his relief stint as well. But all in all, things went very well with so many guys like Jake Deakman and company being able to come in for the Washington Nationals. I said at the top that the bullpen was not very good. At least I think I did. I need to listen back to it. But it actually wasn't too bad if you take a look at it because Austin Voth just got destroyed in the start. Four and a third innings gives up four runs, all which were earned. From there, Javi Guerra, five outs without giving up a run. Wander Suero went an inning. Fernand, oh no, Rodney! Actually was able to make it through an inning without giving up a run. Matt Grace did it as well. And then it was Jesse Ventures who gave up those three runs in the 11th inning, but only one of which was earned. He was hurt by a Ryan Zimmerman error in this one. So it actually appears as though the Nationals bullpen is getting a little bit better, but the Royals on this night were just a little bit better. If you, like me, had the under in the Milwaukee Brewers versus the Pittsburgh Pirates game and that under in the Royals versus Washington Nationals game at 10 to 10 and a half was also bad, but... This one was atrocious. Brewers win the game by a count of 7-6. to six. They go into the bottom of the ninth inning, up by a count of 6-1. of one. Josh Hader had just given the team four outs, and because they were up by a count of 6-1, of one, they thought, oh, we can rest them, and they bring in Diolis Guerra and Javi and Junior Guerra. Mr. Diolis Guerra records two outs in his first stint of the year, giving up four runs. He now has an ERA of a 54. Junior Guerra gives up another run, and then he was able to close out the game in the 10th inning, but just absolutely brutal. Zach Davies, a great start in this one for the Milwaukee Brewers. Five innings pitch, he doesn't give up a single run, and things were really cruising for the Brewers because in the 8th inning, they were able to put up a four spot, led by a few big home runs. Jesus Aguiar, who has not been very good for this team this year, by the way, he gets his 6th home run of the year. Manny Pina, who has a batting average below the Mendoza line, which is 200, his 4th of the campaign in Orlando Arcia and inning before his 12th of the year. As for the Pittsburgh Pirates, once again, Stephen Brault was not bad in this one. Didn't provide a lot of length. Only went four innings, but gave up one run. From there, you had Francisco Lariano giving up that home run to Orlando Arcia. It was our guy with the hard last name, though. Davideus Neva Caracas, who wound up giving up four runs in an inning of relief. I totally said that wrong, but that's okay. And then Felipe Vasquez in the 11th inning gives up the 
earned run that really allowed the Brewers to be able to get to victory. But for the Pittsburgh Pirates, they continue to play overs. They are the second best team in regards to the over out there in the big leagues as Josh Bell gets a home run off of Mr. Dolius Guerra, his 27th home run of the year. John Kong also went deep. This one was off of Junior Guerra for his eighth of the campaign. So the Guerras were bad news for the Milwaukee Brewers. The Bundys were bad news for the Toronto Blue Jays, though, as the Baltimore Orioles get a 4-1 win over the Blue Jays. The Blue Jays had scored five or more runs in 12 of their last 13 games going into this one, but Dylan Bundy was terrific. Six and two-thirds innings. He gives up just one run. That one run was a soul shot. It's going deep for the Toronto Blue Jays. Brandon Drury is eighth of the year, but that was really their lone bright spot as... For the Baltimore Orioles, they got a shot themselves over the fence. That was from Chris Davis in the second inning off of Aaron Sanchez, his seventh of the year. And then for the Baltimore Orioles, they got two and a third innings of scoreless baseball and only gave up four hits as a collective. And for the Toronto Blue Jays, Mr. Sanchez continues to be one of the bottom five least profitable pitchers out there in the big leagues, but not a terrible start in this one. Five innings pitch, he gives up two runs. Joe Biagini gives up two runs out there in the bullpen as well. But for the Toronto Blue Jays, they just were extremely cold with the bats in that one. That explains what happened there. The Boston Red Sox, they certainly were not cold after a rain delay as they wind up dismantling the Detroit Tigers by a count of 6-9. to nine. And I said that 6-9 to nine very, very subtly, so hopefully you guys had fun with that. But in this one, Ryan Carpenter winds up getting the start for the Detroit Tigers. It was supposed to be Gregory Soto, so for those of you that are Gregory Soto starting on your ticket, I'm sorry about that, but he wound up giving up three runs of five innings, and ironically enough, Gregory Soto would throw an inning of relief, not giving up a run, but it was the bullpen of the Detroit Tigers that has been good recently that wound up playing them down. Jose Cicerno winds up giving up a run in his inning of relief, and then giving up, and then giving up three runs in his inning, Austin Adams. So that was clearly let down there, and for the Boston Red Sox, their bullpen pitching also was not good. Eduardo Rodriguez winds up going five innings, and he gives up just one run. He would have stayed in the game longer, but there was a rain delay after the fifth. But then Marcus Walden gives up four runs, two of which were earned while recording just a single out. Heath Embry also gave up a run in relief as well, but for the Boston Red Sox, they had their men Xander Bogarts and Rafael Devers going deep. For Bogarts, his 17th home run of the year, and Devers his 16th. And for the Detroit Tigers, lone bright spot is the offense seems to be picking itself up. Jordan Hicks winds up hitting his fourth home run of the year as a team. Was able to break five runs again for the second straight day. And for the second straight day, the Tampa Bay Rays give up four or more runs in extra innings as they lose to the New York Yankees by a count of 8-4. to four. Another heartbreaking under if you had it as Masahiro Tanaka. And this one wasn't great, wasn't awful. Six and a third innings, he gives up four runs, all of which were earned. Nestor Cortez Jr. was able to hold down the fort. He went one and two-thirds innings, not giving up a run. And then you had David Hale and Aroldis Chapman being able to close out the final three. The New York Yankees bullpen continues to be nails. And the New York Yankees just continue to get long balls. Aaron Judge, he had two home runs in this one, his eighth and ninth of the campaign. Aaron Hicks, his seventh of the year. And Brett Gardner, his 13th. As for the Tampa Bay Rays, they got a solid start out of Brandon McKay. He winds up going five innings, giving up three runs, including one of those home runs. Austin Kittredge winds up going two innings without giving up a single run. Emilio Pagan, two innings, gives up one run, but it was Ryan Stanek, who has been such a good opener for this team, giving up those four runs in the 11th inning. You could tell they were getting stretched thin, but the good news for the Rays is they wound up going deep twice in this one. Nathaniel Lowe is first of the campaign, and Mike Zanino, his fourth, but one for nine with men in scoring position and squandered a few bases loaded opportunities. That was the difference in this one. You just can't trust in the New York Mets bullpen at this point. The Philadelphia Phillies and the New York Mets entered into the ninth inning of their game tied at 2-2, and the New York Mets bullpen did it again as the Philadelphia Phillies not just win the game, but catch the over of over eight runs, 7-2 the final. In the final inning, the New York Mets give up five runs, 
and Edwin Diaz gave up four of them while recording just one out. Squanders a great start from Jacob DeGrom. He goes seven innings, gives up two runs, six, ten strikeouts. He did give up a home run as going deep for the Philadelphia Phillies. Scott Kingery in the first inning, a leadoff home run is 11th, but best said he really didn't do a lot wrong. And then you had Jersich Familia, Spanish for blown save, only being able to get one out while giving up a run as well. And for the Philadelphia Phillies, a pretty darn good start out of Vince Velasquez. Was not expecting this. Five innings pitch. Gives up two runs, both of which were earned. And he did give up a home run. That was to Pete Alonso, his 29th of the year. But that was really the lone offense for the New York Mets. So you could give them a little bit of a strike there as Jose Alvarez, Adam Morgan, Hector Neris, and Tommy Hunter were all able to provide four innings of relief for the Philadelphia Phillies. But this Mets bullpen is just bad news. You've got to be... Taking a look at that and adjusting accordingly, you got to adjust accordingly to a team playing with a lot of emotion as well. The LA Angels take down the Houston Astros by a count of 5-4. to four. They're now 3-1 and one ever since the very, very sad and unfortunate situation with Tyler Skaggs leaving us too soon. In this one, Nick Ramirez wound up getting the open. He went a flawless ending, and then for their... Felix Pina winds up going four innings. He gives up two runs, including a home run. And then you also had Cam Bedrosian giving up two runs out of the bullpen, including a home run. Going deep for the Houston Astros in this one was Michael Brantley, his 12th of the year, and your Gary Yell is 12th. But all in all, a solid showing by the Angels, and they were able to get to Justin Verlander. Verlander, by the way, has had one start since the beginning of June in which he's given up fewer than three earned runs. You might want to note that because you wouldn't think of it with his 298 ERA, but in this one, he gives up seven, he gives up four runs in seven innings, including three home runs, and then you had Hector Rondon giving up a home run out of the bullpen as well as for the LA Angels. Just a lot of solo shots in this one. Mike Trout is 26th home run of the year. Cole Calhoun is 19th of the year. And Dalton Simmons is 4th. And Shoei Otani is 13th. The difference in the game as Justin Verlander just continues to give up home runs. He's giving up nearly 1.9 per 9 innings. Speaking of a team that is giving up a whole lot of home runs, it was the Texas Rangers on this Friday night as they lose to the Minnesota Twins by a count of 15-6. to Adrian Sampson did not have a go- good go of things. He goes three and a third innings, giving up seven runs, all of which were earned, including two home runs. Jesse Biddle in two and two thirds innings, he gives up two runs, all of which were earned. Locke St. John winds up giving up three runs in an inning, but he was the lone pitcher to not give up a home run. And then Brett Martin winds up going in an inning. He gives up three runs, all of which were earned, including a home run. As for the Twins, Jonathan Scope provided some damage. His 14th home run of the year. Jorge Polanco, his 13th. Mitch Garver, his 13th. And Luis Arias winds up going deep for his second. And this was all in support of Martin Perez, who has not necessarily been his normal self. He's been giving up a lot of runs himself, much like Justin Verlander, though not as many of his hits are going over the fence. But in six innings pitch, he gives up four runs. But on this night, he had a whole lot of support as Ryan Harper and Ty Duffy also give up a run out of the bullpen. But the Minnesota Twins scoring 15 runs, that was a good antidote for that. If you're looking for an encouraging sign for the Texas Rangers, Logan Forsythe, his fourth home run of the year, and Sinchu Chu, his 13th, as the Texas Rangers have now played four of their last five games of the over. You want to note that. You also want to note that the Colorado Rockies are one of the bottom 10 teams in the league in regards to runs per game outside of Coors Field, and they were shut out by the Arizona Diamondbacks by a count of 8 to nothing. In this one, Zach Granke was just special. Seven innings pitch, gives up four hits, nine strikeouts, and then Archie Bradley 
for a Arizona Diamondbacks bullpen that, let's face it, has been absolutely awful in the past couple days. He winds up going two innings, gives up just one hit, no earned runs. And for the Arizona Diamondbacks, they had two home runs. They both came off the bat of Christian Walker. His 16th and 17th home runs of the year as Antonio Senzatella, guy that had been doing a very good job of being able to provide some quality starts for the Colorado Rockies the last two months. Well, this one was not so quality. Four and a third innings, he gives up seven runs, all of which were earned, including one of those home runs to Mr. Walker. You had Carlos Estevez wind up giving an inning of relief, and then I do have to give it to Jesus Tinoco. He did give up a solo home run to Christian Walker, but two and two-thirds innings only gives up one run there. And for the Colorado Rockies, just five hits. Vastly different team at Coors Field as opposed to on the road. This game wound up wrapping up very, very late, but the Atlanta Braves get a 1-0 win over the Miami Marlins after what seemed like a three-hour rain delay. I think it was closer to two, but with that said, it was a very long one as both starting pitchers in this one were terrific. Jordan Yamimoto for the Miami Marlins goes six innings, gets seven strikeouts, gives up just two hits, no earned runs. From there, you had Nick Anderson and Austin Bryce being able to provide an inning of relief, but it was Jose Quijada who just feels like he's now the untrustworthy arm out there in the bullpen of the Miami Marlins that wound up giving up the game-winning run as the Atlanta Braves got a RBI single from Brian McCann to be able to end this thing. And for the Atlanta Braves, Julio Tehran was terrific. Six innings pitch, gives up five hits, was able to do a very good job of evading danger. He has now given up just more than two earned runs in two starts since the beginning of May, so he's been a good pitcher. Tuki Toussaint, A.J. Minter, Luke Jackson all provide an ending of relief themselves as the Atlanta Braves have been now doing it in a variety of different ways. They've been scoring a double-digit amount of runs a lot recently, but they have now won a couple of games in which they've held their opponents under two as well. So this Atlanta Braves team seems to be evolving very much so. The Seattle Mariners are a team that has not been getting a lot going, whether they're at home or on the road, and the Oakland A's wind up pounding them for a count of 5-2. to two. In this one, for the Oakland A's, they were able to get a very good start out of Brett Anderson. Six and a third innings, he gives up two runs, including a home run. For the Seattle Mariners, being able to go deep in this one was Thomas Murphy, his ninth home run of the year. The Seattle Mariners have the third most home runs for the catcher spot, by the way, as he and Navarro have been doing a very good job, but... The Oakland A's bullpen has also been doing a very good job as Ryan Buecher, Yasmero Petit, and Liam Hendricks combined to be able to get the final eight outs of the game without giving up a single run. And for the Oakland A's, their source of power came from a very unlikely source. Franklin Barreto winds up getting his first home run of the year, and I believe his first hit of the year as well, as he winds up going deep in the third inning off of Yusei Kikuchi. Going into this game, all but two of his starts had went over the total. This was a rare under for him, and he actually had a good start. Seven innings pitch, he gives up three runs, two of which were earned, and then you had Daniel Tavila giving up two runs out there in the bullpen, but all in all, Seattle Mariners pitching wasn't bad. They just weren't able to get a whole lot going with the bats as they only had five hits. And by the way, have only seen one of their last nine games go over the total. This is for the hottest team with regards to the over out there in the big leagues. The LA Dodgers going into their game against the San Diego Padres on Friday had been by far the best team with regards to home record in the big leagues. But they wind up falling by a count of three of the two. The LA Dodgers now 37-9 and nine at home, which is still ridiculous. But in this one, the San Diego Padres were able to get a whole lot out of Eric Lauer. Six innings pitch, he gives up two runs, only one of which was earned. Very good start there. And then from there, Craig Stamen was able to stem together the seventh and the early part of the eighth and ninth innings. And then from there, Kirby Yates, who has only blown one save so far this year, gets the final 
five outs for the San Diego Padres. As the Padres were able to get their big hit of the game in the eighth inning, that would be a Hunter Renfro home run, his 26th home run of the year that came off of Yimi Garcia as Clayton Kershaw. Also a good start in this one. Seven innings pitch. He gives up two runs, only one of which was earned. He wound up having a catcher interference play by Austin Barnes. Cost him one of those runs, so very unfortunate there. And then Yimi Garcia gives up that home run to Renfro, but all in all, the Dodgers bullpen looks a little bit better. In this one, they just weren't able to get a whole lot of hits, and the LA Dodgers only one of eight with men in scoring position as the Dodgers in games not played at Coors Field. I feel like that's an important disclaimer have scored five runs or fewer in nine out of their last 10 games. And then this game is still going on, but I have to post this by Midnight Pacific as it looks like the St. Louis Cardinals are going to take down the San Francisco Giants, so I shouldn't assume anything with the way that some of these bullpens are pitching. But right now, the Cardinals are up by a count of 8-3 to in the top of the eighth inning against the Giants. And this one, Dakota Hudson, not a great but not terrible start. Five innings pitch, he gave up three runs, all of which were earned, including a home run for the San Francisco Giants. Being able to supply that boom, Mr. Austin Dickerson, his fourth home run of the year, but the St. Louis Cardinals, who were the second worst team with regards to runs per game in the month of June, have gotten hot, and one of the guys that they need to get hot wound up doing so in this game, Paul Goldschmidt, his 15th home run of the year, Jose Martinez, also supplied his eighth as for the San Francisco Giants. Drew Pomerantz wound up having three shutout appearances in San Francisco in the month of June, going five innings apiece in those. On this night, it was not so good. Four innings pitch, he gives up four runs, all of which were earned, including those two home runs. Trevor Gott gives up two runs in an inning of relief. Mark Melanson also two runs in an inning of relief for a San Francisco Giants bullpen that came into the night in the top eight in regards to bullpen ERA. And for the St. Louis Cardinals, so far so good from the bullpen. They've got a top 10 bullpen ERA as well as Giovanni Gallegos. Two innings of relief out of the bullpen. So what did we all learn on this Friday out there in baseball? The Washington Nationals bullpen actually appears to be a little bit improved, but outside of Josh Hader, you really can't trust too many guys in the Milwaukee Brewers bullpen, and the Pittsburgh Pirates just continue to play overs. The Toronto Blue Jays are still on a power terror, but they wound up having a bad day against a resurgent Dylan Bundy of the Baltimore Orioles. The Boston Red Sox just continue to slug in the Detroit Tigers. Well, let's face it, whenever Gregory Soto and Ryan Carpenter take the mound are not very trustworthy. The Tampa Bay Rays seem to not do very well in extra inning games. The New York Mets bullpen is certainly one that you cannot trust. The LA Angels are playing with a lot of emotion and they're playing very well. The Miami Marlins continue to play low-scoring games. The Texas Rangers are having some pitching issues, but they seem to be now a little bit more of an over team. The Colorado Rockies away from Coors Field certainly do not have as much firepower as they do at Coors. The San Diego Padres continue to have a trustworthy closer, though the other relievers leave a little bit of something to be desired. And the Oakland A's, who have now won 14 of their last 19 games, continue to stay hot. And the St. Louis Cardinals may be resurgent with the bats now. So that was Friday. Now let's take a look forward to Saturday. Let's get some general takeaways from some bets I don't really focus in on. And we're going to be getting that next from Monique, a.k.a. the Parlay Queen out there with Covers.com. And that is coming up right here on MLB Overtime Betting. Greg is going to the bullpen as he makes a call to the Azunia Hotline. And we're back here on MLB Overtime Betting. Greg Peterson coming at you from the Azunia Tequila Studios out here in lovely Las Vegas. Great to have on our next guest. Covers does some tremendous work and one of the people out there doing some great work with them is Monique. You may know her better as the Parlay Queen and that is actually her Twitter handle. 
at Parlay Queen is where you can find her. She does tremendous work doing a little bit of everything. She is actually very, very sharp with the ponies. She does a lot of horse racing. She's also throwing out there a lot of baseball trends as well, and you can catch her doing some video work with covers, some written work as well, and she is kind enough to join me on this fine day. And Monique, how are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you so much for having me. And yeah, it's a slow time in sports for pretty much majority of the sports, but the good thing with baseball is there's always baseball. So <laughs> by default, baseball has been my go-to, but yeah, just waiting on bated breath about the Kawhi Leonard news. So nervous in that sense, but everything's really well here. Oh, absolutely. I know that you're out there in the great country of Canada by the Ontario Toronto area. And we've noticed that Toronto Blue Jays have gotten white hot with the bats going into their game on the 4th of July. 12 out of their last 13 games, they have scored five or more runs, which means that the overs are cashing like crazy. And you've got this team playing a weekend set against the Baltimore Orioles, a team that, well, let's face it, they're bullpen, not necessarily nails. And for the Toronto Blue Jays, it looks like on Saturday, they're going to be having Clay Richard going against Andrew Kasher. Andrew Kasher, by the way, the most profitable starting pitcher out there in the big leagues. But what do you make out of these totals that we're seeing with the Toronto Blue Jays? Because we're seeing them hit double digits and they just seem to be going over night after night. They finally did get hot. But uh, yeah, it's a very interesting matchup on Saturday. And like you said, Kashner's just been so solid. I think my favorite play in that game would actually be the Baltimore Orioles. I would probably take them early on, maybe first five, maybe even like a lead after four or lead after three. Like you said, Kashner's just been so solid. He's eight and three with a 4.03 ERA through 16 starts. And he's just been so good in the month of June. I feel like, yes, the day's bats have been hot, but they just have not been very good at home. It's just one of those things. They seem to struggle at home. They could definitely get hot. And I feel like I most certainly do not trust the bullpens on either side. So I think taking the Orioles early on is an intriguing play. I think so as well. The Baltimore Orioles certainly do not have too many guys that you could trust them to say the least. But Andrew Kasher, 8-3 this year, 4.03 ERA. He has certainly gotten the job done. Speaking of guys also getting the job done, Mad Max Scherzer for the Washington Nationals, who's going to be on the bump on Saturday against the Kansas City Royals. Looks like he's going to be opposed by Glenn Sparkman, who, last we saw him, ironically enough, he was taking on the Toronto Blue Jays in a special game out there in Canada on Monday, and he got completely destroyed. Max Scherzer, I believe, won every one of his starts in the month of June as well. This is a gentleman that is white hot. His fielding independent is... Seven-tenths of a run lower than anyone else. What have you seen out of Max Scherzer so far? Because until further notice, I just can't fade him, even though the numbers are getting high with him, because he just keeps winning, and he just keeps on delivering eight innings and gives up zero one run. I know, you're completely right. At, at this point, it's not worth a fade. It's kind of not really worth a play, just the odds you're getting when he's on the mound not favorable but I feel like if you do think Mad Max goes on and has a great game maybe look into something like strikeouts or just outs in general for the pitcher I can assume he's going to go pretty long with the way he's been pitching but yeah he's definitely someone that's been so 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 solid and I really don't see that stopping anytime soon I don't think so either as we do have the parlay queen aka Monique joining me right here on MLB overtime betting and what are a couple things that you've been noticing in baseball so far this year because One trend that has been so hot for me, and I've been talking about it on the podcast a lot, the Tampa Bay Rays on the run line. In their first 50 wins of the season, 45 have been by two-plus runs. So if you've been taking them on the run line, obviously you've made a whole lot more money than on the money line. 
Is there anything that's really been working for you with regards to that? It can be like an over-under trend. It can be just anything that's cashing in general, let's be honest. It's kind of feeling it out now. It's way early. But yeah, like you were saying, I didn't know that about the Rays. I know they've been winning pretty big when they have been, but that's really intriguing. It's just been crazy how offensive most of the teams have been. The amount of runs, the amount of hits, the amount of everything. So I feel like betting team hits has been pretty profitable for me thus far this year. I think that's always an intriguing one. I always tend to shop around for the best number, but a team that has good bats, like the Braves, for example, they'll set it at maybe eight and a half, nine hits. And that's been pretty good this year thus far. And obviously, pitching is what really matters. And I've been really looking into those. And it's intriguing. I've noticed I don't have anything to really support that. But, you know, you're getting a lot of aces starting at home and you're getting plus money sometimes or even just minus 110 minus 120 which is really intriguing to me because a lot of the time you know at home especially later on in the season it's a huge factor huge advantage but it's been interesting not too many bets on my end thus far kind of waiting for my moments crazy the amount of runs we're seeing from even the subpar teams i am right there with you and plus money i always say is your friend in baseball and One team that has been getting a lot of plus money all year long is the Miami Marlins, but I do feel like there's been good value on them. This is a team that has a record right around 500, if not a game or two above it ever since, I would say, the middle of May, and they're going to be taking on the Atlanta Braves, who you just mentioned. The Atlanta Braves had the most runs out there in the month of June, and it looks like if things hold the form, it's going to be Craig Smith returning to the fold, who was a very good pitcher for the Marlins before going on the injured list against Max Freed. Max Freed, who had a terrific start to the year, has recently been a little bit shaky. Got to think the Marlins are going to be a big underdog once again. We're doing this podcast without a line, but what do you make of this? Just because I've been betting the Miami Marlins a lot the last month and a half, I've been hitting about 50% of those bets, but I'm up a lot of units with them just because they're always coming with these big prices. That's interesting. In baseball, like you said, plus money is just always so tempting, especially if you look at the pitching matchup and you consider it a wash or you don't have a huge edge in that sense. It's going to be intriguing. I think it's a matter of how many runs the Marlins can really score because we know the Braves are going to be putting up some runs at home. So if you think the Marlins are going to put up maybe four or five, then I think, yeah, plus money, there's a lot of value in that sense because I do think the pitching matchup is completely a wash. Both have been really solid this year thus far. And we're seeing both these bullpens really emerge as well as we've got the parlay queen joining me right here on the podcast. And you were talking about shopping for lines and everything like that. And one thing that I like to do whenever I'm shopping for lines is if I see maybe some books have a nine on a game and some books have a nine and a half, say that I really like the under, I'll try to go for that plus price on under nine rather than laying like that minus 115, minus 120 on under nine and a half instead. Is that something that you look at as well? Because I've noticed in baseball, if you want to be able to get that half a run, you're able to get it. If you want to go for the plus price, more like I do too, it's something that is pretty easy to shop for as well. Absolutely. It depends on obviously how many books you're looking at and how many you have access to. But yeah, at any time you could take a bet and turn it into plus money. I'm definitely for that. Especially if you think that when you handicap the game and you don't think that the line's particularly close. I mean, if you think it's going to be a super under game, maybe a one nothing, two nothing game, 
it doesn't really matter what they set the line at. If it's eight and a half, nine, nine and a half, it doesn't really matter. I feel like, yeah, anytime you can get plus money, do that for sure. And you always have the option to hedge in game as well, which is just so great if it's looking good early on. So I'm definitely all in favor of those. And for baseball, I, I definitely love my under overs. Absolutely. And I think that we can both agree here on this. The half run just hasn't meant a lot this year because we're in an era of baseball where so many of these games, you'll notice a total of 10 and a team will score 12 runs all by themselves. It didn't matter if you had nine and a half, 10, 10 and a half or anything like that. I'm noticing that just pretty much pick the over under correctly. And the number really is one of those things where you always want to get the best number, obviously, but at the same time, just hasn't made much of an impact this year. That's true. And that's intriguing because in basketball this year, the end over has been, it's been incredibly close. But this year in particular, especially in the postseason, it's been half a point determining like half the games in the playoffs, it feels like. So yeah, it's anytime oh, yeah. you can find what you determine a discrepancy or some type of edge in the line. Yeah, I'm all for taking it because at the end of the day, once we see a lot more of these pitchers, once we see a lot more of these teams, we get the true identities of teams later on in the season the lines aren't going to be as not easy to predict, but they're definitely going to be a lot more competitive. And you're not really going to be getting, you know, minus 120, minus 130 on a team by the end of the season or towards that, you're going to be getting minus 200 on a team. So take advantage of things now when there's still a lot of uncertainties in the league. I am right there with you. And I know that you've been talking a lot of over-unders and pitching matchups and everything like that. It's something that you pay attention to the over-under trends with regards to pitchers when they take the mound because one thing I've really noticed, and this was a game going back to Friday, Yusei Kikuchi going into his Friday start, all but two of his starts had went over, and then Yoni Torino's 4th of July, he was on the bump for the Tampa Bay Rays, all but one of his starts went under. Are those the sorts of bets that you've really been focusing on recently? I definitely like to look into that. It's not something that I weigh that much to, but it's something that I like to look into in general. And it's usually a good indicator of how well the pitcher has been pitching. Also, just who's been umping the game as well is is intriguing. There's a lot of stats out there. Even if you're not familiar with them, just, just Google the ump's name and just how many games they've called under or over you know it's intriguing and you notice that i would say a lot more in some of the other sports where you see huge numbers for under overs i guess maybe based on fouls or something like that but in baseball yeah i definitely like to look into that to see not only how a pitcher has been in under overs but how the ump has been but at the end of the day it's not really going to determine that much into my bet but yeah it's definitely intriguing i feel like the more information the more knowledge you can get it's obviously beneficial for you. I am right there with you as we do have the parlay queen, Monique, joining me right here on the podcast. And something else that I always try to look at in my handicapping as well is just general form with these teams. I was talking about the Toronto Blue Jays and how they've really heated up with the bats. San Francisco Giants are sort of in that same boat going into their weekend series with the St. Louis Cardinals. Five of their last six games, they had scored at least six runs, so they were doing a great job there. Meanwhile, the St. Louis Cardinals, in 25 games in the month of June, they scored a grand total of 82 runs. If you're doing the math, that's 3.27 runs per game out there for an entire month, which obviously is not good. Do you look at these sorts of trends as well? Because I'm noticing on Saturday we've got a pitching matchup of Miles Michaelis against Madison Baumgartner, and this is one of those spots where I really do have to give a heavy lean to the San Francisco Giants because even though the Cardinals have the better stats for the year. They are without Marcelo Zuna. 
And with the San Francisco Giants, their recent form has been very good. That's an intriguing one. I haven't looked into that game in particular yet. But yeah, you definitely want to be looking at teams that are getting hot, teams that have really good records over their last 10 games. The Yankees have won eight of their last 10. So obviously these teams, they want to pull away in their division or conversely, they want to keep it close. You don't want to eliminate your postseason chances this early. There's a lot of that, a lot of that incentive. But yeah, definitely. If a team's been swinging the bats really well, I feel like a lot of the time that's going to continue. And until I see a game where a team's not swinging the bats well. For example, like the Braves, they've just been hitting the ball so, so, so well. And until I really see a game where their bats completely cool off and they just don't look like themselves, I mean, I'm going to be backing them on overs. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be looking at them when they're in a favorable pitching matchup. So yeah, definitely. I think that's intriguing. That game that you mentioned, definitely going to be looking into that one. I didn't notice that. Oh, absolutely. And then is there any other teams in general that you've been really looking at? Because I know you've been mentioning... The Atlanta Braves, they were just so hot with the bats in June. They really have been coming alive out there in an NL East that the Washington Nationals have been mounting a nice run themselves, but we're noticing a lot of those teams coming back to the pack. I personally have really been backing Reds under so far this year. They've been the best team to the under, hitting over 64% of their games to the under so far this year. Any other teams been really treating you well in regards to a trend like that? Yeah, actually, I've been fading the Mets as, as much as I can. Oh, yes. That bullpen is so bad. Oh, it was so bad. It was crazy. I was up 5-3. I think it was a Saturday game. And I was looking at what the early cash out was. And there was one inning left. And the cash out was like 200 or something off my profit. So it was a huge difference with one inning to go three outs. Just because you cannot possibly trust their pen. And of course, I sweat it the entire way. But yeah, it's insane. They've been a team that, you know, at this point, you just can't back them. And if you are trying to back them, back them on like first five innings. You just can't trust them them, which is so interesting because I didn't expect their pen to be that bad, but just the way they've been playing, no lead is ever safe. So they've been a team that I've not been betting, but mostly been fading and it's been working out thus far. Ironically enough, the other podcast I do, that's Gold with Steve Heitner, who you may recall played the role of Kenny Banya on <laughs> Seinfeld. He is a diehard Mets fan. I have been giving him so much garbage for that Mets bowl, but it has been so funny and I've been just reveling in it. It's just one of those things where they may not have the worst bullpen area out there in the big leagues, but they certainly have had a flair for the dramatic and just blowing it. I still yeah. remember last week when it was Philadelphia Phillies against the New York Mets. You bring in Edwin Diaz. They wind up getting an insurance run to be up three to one. And then Diaz gives up five runs in the ninth inning. It's just one of those things where I don't think I've ever seen such a bad run for a bullpen. Do you think it's mental at this point or what is it? Because they have some skilled closers out there. What is it? I think it just might be the clubhouse in general because we remember the fallout of Mickey Calloway and what happened with Jason Vargas. Ever since then, the bullpen, it wasn't great before then, but ever since then, the bullpen went from mediocre to just absolutely throwing lighter fluid and setting games on fire. Yeah, it's crazy. I don't even know what I would do. I don't know what the solution would be. I feel like you have to think that it's at some point mental just because it's insane. And until I see something, I don't think anything in the recent couple of days, weeks are going to change that. But yeah, they're one of those teams that 
oh, it's always a sweat and it's never, ever safe with them. No, it is not. Their leads are about as safe as a $5 bill that you dropped in the parking lot and left unattended. And there's about a million people in that parking lot. So that's always, it's been going there. But Monique, I'd like to close it up with this. Your content is a little bit more safe and always comes through, unlike the Mets bullpen. Let the good people know where they can find you on social media and elsewhere, because most people know you a little bit better as a parlay queen. They know your work from covers. What are you all working on and what are you all doing? And just how can people get a little bit more of you in general? Yeah, it's been early prepping for NFL. It's just it's never too early to get any of your bets in, whether it's player rushing yards, passing yards, team totals. There's just always something going on with NFL. So that's been kind of my focus now as early as it is. And yeah, you can find my stuff on covers or sports gambling podcast or for racing America's best racing. Terrific. A big thanks to Monique, a.k.a. the parlay queen for joining me in the last segment. And now, coming up next, it is that time that I give you a side and total on every game on today's Las Vegas betting board. And I do so in something I like to call Touch Em All. Hey, I'm Steve Heitner, the guy who uttered the famous phrase, That's gold! And that's the inspiration of my new podcast, That's Gold with Steve Heitner. We talk sports, sports betting, movies, comedy, food, drink, Vegas, music, movies, and more. Five days a week. Did I say movies twice? Look, guys love it, whether they're hip or worried about breaking a hip. Find us on Apple and Google Podcasts, as well as Spotify and Stitcher. That's Gold with me, Steve Heitner. Welcome back to MLB Overtime. Greg is throwing a gem, so yeah, he better not blow it. A big thanks to Monique, a.k.a. the Parlay Queen, for joining me in the last segment as we are back here in the Zuni Tequila Studios for MLB Overtime Betting. Now it is that time that I give you a side and total on every game on today's Las Vegas betting board, and we do so on a little something I like to call Touch Em All. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Note that any changes that are made to these plays are going to be listed on my Twitter feed, at GNNRSquarity1, with some of these plays were all locked in, good to go, bet on everything like that. Some of these plays were in wait-and-see mode, waiting on some lineup announcements, we're waiting on some line moves, things like that, and I will be keeping you guys informed as to all that as we go along, and as per usual... We are going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order, and that starts with 901-902 on the betting rotation. The Pittsburgh Pirates play host to the Milwaukee Brewers. Adrian Hauser goes for the Brewers. Trevor Williams for the Pittsburgh Pirates. This is a pretty consistent line across the board. The Pirates are even money, and the Milwaukee Brewers are laying minus 110. The over-under on this game, both have juice of minus 110, and the total is 10. And this is a spot where I certainly do have to look at the Pittsburgh Pirates. Trevor Williams seems to be reacclimating after coming off the injured list. Meanwhile, Adrian Hauser, he was able to give the Milwaukee Brewers five innings of length the last time he took the mound, but this is not a guy that's going to be going deep into his starts. He has been struggling a little bit as a starter as well. He's been doing a much better job as a reliever. And with Trevor Williams, his three starts ever since coming off the injured list, he has given up four plus in every one of them, but he seems to be getting some length now. He has won at least five innings in every one of them, and I do think that he's going to start to settle down. 454 ERA for the year, 71 and a third innings. He's given up nine home runs. Meanwhile, with Hauser, he's won 38 and two-thirds innings. The walks have been a little bit of an issue as he's got 16 of them, but what has not been an issue so far this year the bats of the Pittsburgh Pirates, and it's all led by Josh Bell. 81 RBI, 26 home runs, 
batting average above 300 going into Friday's action. And then with the Pittsburgh Pirates, you've got a whole bunch of guys hitting above 300, including Brian Reynolds who's hitting at 340. Kevin Newman is hitting more in the realm of a 320. You've got Melky Cabrera hovering just above a 300. Corey Dickerson has fallen off a Ian Calmoran hitting between a 280 and a 290, which has been good. And then you've got Jose Zuna hitting above a 300 as well. Sterling Marte is hitting a 282. He's got a double-digit amount of stolen bases. Elias Diaz hitting a 275. And then so is Adam Frazier. For the Milwaukee Brewers, it's all about that man, Christian Yelich. One of the top base dealers out there in baseball. 328 average, 31 home runs, 67 RBI. Yasmani Grandal, Mike Moussakis, both seen a little bit of a dip in their average. Yasmani Grandal now hitting 255 to go with 18 home runs. Moussakis, 24 dingers. He's got a 265 average. Keston Hira hitting in that neighborhood as well. You've got Jesus Aguiar, who's not really doing a lot with the bat. He's hitting just above the Mendoza line, which is 200. Tyler Saladino has really been awful. He's got one hit in like 20 at bat so far this year, so needless to say, that's not going well. But Lorenzo Cain's hitting right around a 250. He's got good speed. Orlando RC has been struggling, but Ben Gamble is hitting a 260 himself. And with the Pittsburgh Pirates, I do like what I'm seeing out of the bullpen right now. Guys like Kyle Crick, Felipe Vasquez, and Francisco Lariano have been solid. Meanwhile, with the Milwaukee Brewers out there in the bullpen, it's really Josh Hader and nobody else. It's hard to have faith in guys like Freddie Peralta, Jr. Garen Company. So for that reason, signing with the Buckos in this one and the under. This is a spot where I'm in wait and see mode on both of these since this number is very consistent across the board. Would like to see if I'm able to get a little bit more value there. 903-904 on the betting rotation. The Miami Marlins are in Atlanta to face off against the Bravos. Max Freed goes for the Braves. Caleb Smith makes his return off the injured list for the Miami Marlins. Your total on this game is 9. The over is juice of minus 120. The under is even. If you're looking at the fish, plus 175 to plus 180 is going to be your price there. Meanwhile, if you want to lay it with the Braves, that's anywhere between minus 190 and $2. We have noticed that Max Freed has really come back to earth after having a tremendous start to the year. Meanwhile, Caleb Smith, he is making his first start since being on the injured list for about a month or so, but Caleb Smith, before he went on the injured list, was pretty good. The 3-4 and four record is a little bit deceiving. Now he has given up 13 home runs in 66 innings. That's obviously a woe, but also getting right around 11 strikeouts per 9 innings. He was getting a little bit touched up in his recent starts before going on the injured list. Two out of his last three starts, he wound up giving up four or five runs, but in every other start this year, I believe he's given up three or fewer, so it's certainly been solid there. Meanwhile, with Max Freed, he's done a decent job of being able to control the long ball, 93 and two-thirds innings. He's given up 11 home runs, 9-3 and three record, but... That's a little bit misleading with his 404 ERA. Take a look at the month of June. He wound up giving up three runs or more in four out of his six starts. And you even date it back to May. He wound up giving up four runs in his last start of that month as well. Now he is backed up by a pretty good bullpen of the Atlanta Braves. That's in the top 10 in regards to ERA. And I will say the Miami Marlins with guys like Adam Bryce and company have been doing a lot better. And what else has been going better for the Miami Marlins is the bats in general. Brad Anderson has supplied 11 home runs for this team. He's hitting a round at 250. You've also got a couple guys that have a very good average. Harold Ramirez, Miguel Rojas, and Garrett Cooper are all guys that are hitting above a 290 for this team, and you can throw Cesar Puello in there as well. You do have a couple guys that are really struggling. JT Riddle, Rosell Herrera, Curtis Granderson, and Austin Dean are all hitting below a 220, and Sterling Castro, even though he's got a 236 batting average, just does not draw a lot of walks, but Neil Walker's back in the fold. He's hitting nearly a 275. 
Jorge Alfaro has been in and out of the lineup so far this year as well, but he's got 10 dingers. He's hitting above a 265 himself, and with the Atlanta Braves, you've got the most prolific offense out there in baseball ever since the start of June, and it's also is led off by Ronald Acuna Jr. 290 average, 20 home runs, double-digit amount of stolen bases. Ozzy Albies and Nick Markakis are both hitting very well. Their batting averages are both between a 280 and a 285. Brian McCann and Trey Flowers are both doing a decent job at the catcher spot, and then Austin Riley sitting at 260 himself with 15 home runs. You've got to like the fact that Josh Donaldson and Danzy Swanson have a combined 30 home runs so far this year. Swanson hitting around a 270. Josh Donaldson more in the realm of a 250, but I do think that there is tremendous value here on the Miami Marlins. I typically fade guys in their first start off the injured list, but Max Freed just does not look good in recent form, and I do have a lot of faith here in Caleb Smith because he is a very good swing and miss guy, and I think he's going to be able to find his rhythm in this one. So for that reason, going to be riding with the Miami Marlins, and we're going to be taking this total under. Currently in Wayne C mode on the Marlins, but have already locked in the under. 905-906 on the banging rotation. You've got the Philadelphia Phillies on the road against the New York Mets. Noah Thor Syndergaard goes for the Mets. Jake Arrieta for the Philadelphia Phillies. Your total on this game is 9. The under is just a minus 115. The over is minus 105. If you're looking at the Phillies, plus price is between plus 140 and plus 135. If you're looking at the Mets, going to be laying anywhere between minus 145 and minus 150. Myself and the parlay queen are in agreement here. The Mets bullpen is something that you really can't trust in right now. Now, I'm not saying that the Philadelphia Phillies bullpen is necessarily great. They are in the bottom half of the league in regards to ERA as well. And we do know that Jake Arrieta is a little bit up and down, but so is Noah Syndergaard. Both these guys have ERAs between a 4-4-3 and a 4-5-6. With Noah Syndergaard, he's given up 12 home runs in 100 and two-thirds innings. A little bit more for Jake Arrieta, 103 and two-thirds innings. He's given up 18 long balls. But with Jake Arrieta, he does a better job of being able to limit the damage. In the month of June, you take a look at Jake Arrieta. He wound up giving up three runs or more in all but one of his starts. Obviously, that was not good. But you date back to the month of May, two of his last three starts in that month, he wound up going six-plus innings, giving up two runs or fewer in those. Meanwhile, Noah Syndergaard, he's either going to give you a complete game shutout or he's just going to give you a stinker. You take a look at what he did in June. He wound up having four starts, three of which he gave up three-plus runs. You even date it back to May. In May, he wound up leading off the month with that complete game shutout against the Cincinnati Reds in which he had the only run of the game. But then in three out of his last five starts, he gave up three-plus runs. It's one of those things where you really can't have too much faith in either of these two starters, but you can have a little bit of faith in these bats. And Jeff McNeil has done a terrific job at the leadoff spot for the New York Mets, hitting nearly a 350. And then you've got that man, Pete Alonso. He has really been on a tear. 28 home runs. He's hitting nearly a 275. He certainly has been supplying his power. You've got Michael Conforto and Robinson Cano, who could use really the who could use a boost in their average. You've got Cano hitting around a 242 and Conforto more around a 245, but Conforto does have 16 home runs. You've got Todd Frazier and Ahmed Rosario both hitting around a 260. Wilson Ramos a 275, but then you've got Dominic Smith hitting above a 300 as well. Then you take a look at the Philadelphia Phillies. Scott Kingery has done a nice job of being able to supply at the leadoff spot. 11 home runs. He's hitting above 300. Gene Segura is hitting a 273, and then you've got a lot of guys that are hitting more in that 250 to 265 range, GT Ryumito, Reese Hoskins, 
Bryce Harper, all in that neighborhood. And with Bryce Harper, he currently leads the league in strikeouts. But something that is encouraging is that he's got 15-plus home runs. Reese Hoskins, 19 himself. Jay Bruce has been doing a very good job of being able to slug no matter where he's been. He's got over 20 home runs so far this year. And Cesar Hernandez hitting nearly a 280 himself. Mikel Franco certainly been laying the team down. But I do think that this is a spot where you've got to put your chips in the basket of the Philadelphia Phillies just because... There is nobody trustworthy right now for the New York Mets in the bullpen. Noah Syndergaard has to throw a complete game or else they're just not going to be able to win it because Seth Lugo, Edwin Diaz, Robbie Gazelman, all these guys have failed too much for me to have any faith in them. So for that reason, taking the plus price here with the Philadelphia Phillies and the over, Justin Wayne C mode on both these numbers. We are moving on to 907-908 on the bang rotation. The St. Louis Cardinals are on the road facing off against the San Francisco Giants. Madison Bumgarner goes for the San Francisco Giants. Miles Mikolas for the St. Louis Cardinals. Your total is ranging between 7.5 and, and 8. On the 7.5, the over is just minus 120. The under is even. On the 8s, the under is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The over is anywhere between even and minus 105. If you're looking at the Giants, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 108 and minus 110. The St. Louis Cardinals are anywhere between even money and minus 102. The Cardinals' bats certainly scuffled in the month of June. They averaged 3.27 runs per game. And Madison Bumgarner, even though he's 5-7, and seven, has been pretty decent. The home runs are a bit high. So 17 home runs at 109 and two-thirds innings. That's right around 1.45 to 1.5 home runs per nine innings, but he was actually very good out there in the month of June. He did have his one bad start against the Dodgers in which he gave up six runs with pass that, gave up three runs or fewer while going at least six innings in every one of his other starts. Meanwhile, Mr. Mikolas, he certainly has had his problems with the long ball as well. 95 and a third innings. He has given up 15 home runs, and he's facing off against the San Francisco Giants team that going into Friday had scored six or more runs in five out of their last six games. And Mr. Mikolas, in recent form, he gave up three-plus runs in three out of his five starts in the month of June, and he only made it past the fifth inning twice. So that is obviously concerning, and you even dated back to the month of May. He had that blow-up start against the Texas Rangers, in which he recorded four outs and gave up seven runs. Certainly things are not going well from there, and things have not been going well for the St. Louis Cardinals with regards to their bats in general. They currently have Marcel Ozuna out there on the injured list. That is not helping things. You do have the Pauls, Paul DeYoung, and Paul Goldschmidt, who have a combined 27 home runs, but Paul Goldschmidt hitting a 250, Paul DeYoung a 256. Jose Martinez has actually been a nice concept for this team. He's hitting just below 290, and Tommy Edmond at the top of the lineup hitting a 300 and very limited at bats, but then you've got Colton Wong and Dexter Feller seeing a dip in their average. Feller hitting more around a 245, and Wong a 235. Tyler O'Neill has been seeing some at-bats as well. He's hitting a 265, and Matt Wieters a 225, as this team is very, very badly banged up. Meanwhile, the San Francisco Giants, it's not necessarily great with a lot of the bats, but you do have Pablo Sandoval, who has a 287 average, 10 home runs. Brandon Belt has pounded out 10 home runs as well, 242 average there. And then you've got... Austin Dickerson, who has been doing a great job of supplying for this team as well, hitting at 280. A lot of guys on this team hitting between a 238 and a 250. Buster Posey, Evan Longoria, Kevin Pillar all fall in that neighborhood. But with Longoria, he's been hitting some home runs recently. He had three in that series against the Padres for 11 on the year. Kevin Pillar has 12. Brandon Crawford and Joe Panic are still struggling. They're both hitting between a 222 and a 232. And Tyler Austin has just been a little bit anemic for this team. But you've got to like that both these teams also have very good bullpens, but I do think that Miles Mikolas going to give up some runs to a white-hot San Francisco Giants team, and then I think even though Madison Baumgartner maybe gives up a home run or two, he's going to be backed up by guys like 
Will Smith, Sam Dyson and company that are going to be able to close out the game. So for that reason, we are going to be going with the San Francisco Giants and the over in this spot. Currently in Wayne C mode on both these games because I would like to be able to get more round and over 7.5 if at all possible. I would like to see if I'm able to get more of a minus 105 with the San Francisco Giants. We move on to 909-910 on the bang rotation. The San Diego Padres are on the road facing off against the LA Dodgers. Kenta Maeda goes for the Dodgers. Chris Paddock on the bump for the pods. Your total on this game is anywhere between 8 and 8.5. And on the 8, the over is used minus 115. The under is minus 105. On the 8.5, under is minus 120. Over is even. If you're looking at the Dodgers, you're laying anywhere between minus 155 and minus 165. The Padres have a plus price between 145 and 152. The San Diego Padres bullpen is certainly is a concern. You have Kirby Yates, the best closer out there in the game, but past that, you really don't have anyone that you can rely upon. Matt Whistler and company, they sent Brad Weak down to AAA. These guys have just not been doing the job, but Chris Paddock, ever since getting back up to the major leagues after being sent down to the minors, has looked pretty good. In his two starts since then, he combined 11 innings, gave up three runs, nothing great, nothing awful. The swing and miss stuff was out there in his first start against the Pirates, got eight punch-outs against the St. Louis against the St. Louis Cardinals, but then you take a look at Kenta Maeda. He's done a great job of keeping the ball in the yard. 88 innings so far this year. He has given up 12 home runs. A little bit of an up-and-down pitcher, but he ended June by having three straight starts in which he gave up approximately two runs. He had a bad start against the Angels in which he gave up five in the first inning, but that's really been his only issue because outside of his first start in the month of May, ironically enough, against the Padres. He's not given up three or more runs in any other start, which is big. And with the LA Dodgers, it seems like guys like Joe Kelly and company have been doing a better job out there in the bullpen. And what you also have with the LA Dodgers is a team that just does a very good job of being able to put the ball in play. Alex Verdugo, Justin Turner, both guys are hitting right around a 295. Cody Bellinger, 30 home runs, 71 RBI, 344 average. Max Muncie is hitting a 275 with 21 home runs. Chris Taylor is really upped his average to a 270-ish. Whenever you have David Freeze in the lineup, he hasn't been in there recently, but he's hitting a 300. Now you do have Kike Hernandez and Austin Barnes both hitting below a 225, but even Kyle Garlick and Will Smith, whenever they get at bats, they've been solid. Meanwhile, with the San Diego Padres, you've got two great measures in Hunter Renfro and Femiel Reyes. Both these guys have 25 home runs, and both are hitting between a 248 and a 256. With Manny Machado, he's picked it up himself, 273 average, 20 home runs. Fernando Tatis Jr. at the top of the lineup, 325 average, 12 home runs, 13 RBIs, great. And with Eric Hosmer, 295 average, 13 home runs, and 61 RBI. But then you've got the guys that are letting the team down. Francisco Mejia, Ian Kinsler, Austin Hedges, Josh Naylor, all hitting below a 220 for the team. Manuel Margot hitting a 240 himself, and they have to try to buck the trend of the LA Dodgers and just how white hot they've been at home. Going into Friday, this is a team with a home record of 37-9. and Just one of those spots where I can't go against the white hot LA Dodgers at home, especially with how they've been playing recently, and this is a situation where I do think that the run line is in order because I do think that the Dodgers are going to get to Chris Paddock before he got sent down to the AAA level. He was not looking like himself. Has looked a little bit better recently, but currently seeing a Dodgers run line price of a plus 125. Currently going to see if I'm able to get maybe more like a 130 or a 135 since these just came out as I'm doing the podcast, but certainly going to be looking at that. And then I'm also going to be playing this total over. And that is one that I'm in wait and see about trying to see if I'm able to get a little bit more of an unjuice eight, if at all possible. 9-11, 9-12 on the betting rotation. 
The Colorado Rockies are in the desert to take on the Arizona Diamondbacks. Robbie Ray goes for the D-backs. John Gray for the Colorado Rockies. Your total on this game is 8.5. The over is used between minus 110 and minus 115. The under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 105. If you're looking at the Rockies, laying anywhere between minus 107 and minus 110. The Diamondbacks are anywhere between even and minus 103. And I am seeing a big piss... I am seeing a big pitching mismatch in this one with the Arizona Diamondbacks. Their bullpen has just been so bad recently. We saw them with the bases empty, up by one in the bottom of the ninth against the LA Dodgers. Walked five straight batters to end that game. And you know who else has an, a walks issue? Robbie Ray, 5-6 and six record, 4-10 ERA he, in 98 and two-thirds innings. He's got 49 walks. That's about a walk every two innings. He's also given up 14 home runs. That's about 1.3 home runs per nine innings. And with Robbie Ray, he just certainly has not looked good. He was tremendous out there in the month of May and early June, but in each of his last four starts, he's given up at least three runs, and that includes giving up three runs in six innings at home against the Colorado Rockies when he faced off against them a couple weeks ago. John Gray, meanwhile, has actually been pretty darn good recently. 9-5 record, 384 ERA, in 103 innings, he's given up 13 home runs. Considering his own ballpark is Coors Field, that's actually not too bad. He's also gotten 111 punchouts, and in the month of June, he did have two starts in which he gave up four earned runs, but in the other four starts, he gave up a combined three runs and you even date it back to the month of May he wound up having just one of his last four starts in which he gave up more than three earned runs. Considering he pitches at Coors Field, that's a very redeeming quality and what else is a redeeming quality is the fact that the Colorado Rockies have David Dahl, Nolan Arenado and Charlie Blackman at the top of the lineup all hitting above a 315 and in the case of Blackman and Arenado, 20 home runs apiece Trevor Story's back in the fold, 293 average, 17 home runs for him, Daniel Murphy and Ian Desmond are both hitting above a 275 after slow starts of the year. Ryan McMahon and Remy Altapia are in between a 255 and a 265. Tony Walters is hitting a 285. And then the Arizona Diamondbacks certainly have their bats as well. Gerard Dyson leads things off with one of the highest stolen base counts in baseball. 19 on the year to go with a 260 average. Cattell Marte certainly has been doing it all. 312 average, 20 home runs, and Eduardo Escobar hitting a 295 to go with his 18 home runs at 65 RBI. You do have Adam Jones and Christian Walker hitting between a 255 and just above a 260 to go with a combined 28 home runs between those two. And Nick Ahmad has been hitting a 260 himself. Carson Kelly hitting more in the realm of a 270. And Jake Lamb, ever since coming off the injured list, has been a little bit shaky. But I just cannot trust in this Arizona Diamondbacks bullpen in general. I do think that we're going to see a pretty good pitching matchup in this one. I like the way that John Gray is rolling and the Arizona Diamondbacks actually score fewer runs at home than they do on the road. Clearly, the humidor or whatever they're using out there in Arizona has been working the past couple years. So for that reason, going to be riding with the Rockies and the under. I've already locked in the under on this game and I've already locked in the Colorado Rockies as we're going to be moving on to 9-13, 9-14 on the bank rotation. The Texas Rangers are on the road facing off against the Minnesota Twins. Michael Pineda, a.k.a. Michael Pineda, goes for the Twins. Meanwhile, Jesse Chavez on the bump for the Texas Rangers. Your draw on this game is 10. The under is just between minus 110 and minus 115. The over saying we're between minus 105 and minus 110. If you're looking at the Texas Rangers, getting a plus price here. Between plus 140... 
143 and plus 137. If you want to lay it with the Minnesota Twins, that is anywhere between minus 147 and minus 155. I went through Michael Pinata yesterday because I thought it was going to be he instead of Martin Perez. We had a little bit of a transition there. And I will say that for Mr. Pinata, he's given up fewer than three runs in two of his last three starts since coming off the injured list. But he certainly is a guy that I have a tough time trusting in. Meanwhile, Jesse Chavez in his starts has actually been very good. He's done some relief work. He's been a little bit of a starter. 3-3 three three record for the year, ERA of a 297. Now, he certainly did not have his best start against the Tampa Bay Rays. He wound up giving up three earned runs in six innings. There were a couple other unearned runs as well, but in the three starts previous, he wound up going 14 and a third innings, giving up one run across them. So, in his four starts, he all in all has been very solid. He does a good job of being able to keep the ball in the yard as well. With Mr. Pinata, not so much. 86 and two-thirds innings, 15 home runs given up for the year. Now, his command is good. He's only given up 15 walks. And we have noticed with the Texas Rangers, one of the better under teams out there in the big leagues. They certainly have been playing a lot of unders recently. I do think that this is certainly going to be a trend that continues. And I do think that Pineda is improving a little bit, but he has to go up against those bats of the Texas Rangers, which is led by Sin Chu Chu as 12 home runs, 280 average. Delano DeShield Jr., Logan Forsyth are both guys that are in between a 255 and a 260 themselves. Elvis Andrews and Danny Santana are both hitting between a 295 and just above a 300. Azubo Cabrera, Rudnad Odor, Tim Fedorowicz, Jeff Mathis, all guys hitting below a 235, but then you've got that man, Joey Gallo. He wound up getting the day off yesterday, but he has been doing a great job. 280 average. He's got 20 home runs, and I do like what I'm seeing out of Nomar Mazzara as well. 270 average. He's went deep 12 times, and with the Minnesota Twins, you've obviously got the power with so many guys on this team, and you've got Nelson Cruz, Mitch Garver, and Marwan Gonzalez all back. In the case of Cruz and Garver, double-digit amount of home runs for each. Both are men that are hitting a 286, and the Max Kepler at the top lineup, 265 average, 21 home runs. Jorge Polanco hitting a 313 himself. He's went deep a double digit amount of times. Luis Ariza in about 15 games is hitting a 414, which is absolutely amazing. He's been a good cog for them. CJ Crone has seen his average dip to a 265, but he's still got 17 home runs. And then you've also got Eddie Rosario, who wound up getting the day off yesterday. He has pounded out 20 home runs. He's hitting right around a 265 to a 270. You also have Byron Buxton and Jonathan Scope back. Both these guys are hitting a 250, and in this case of Scope, a double-digit amount of home runs. But I do think that the Texas Rangers have done a great job of being able to find some trustworthy bullpen pieces. We have noticed that guys like Jose Leclerc and company, who were so shaky at the beginning of the year, have settled down. And I do like the Minnesota Twins bullpen as well, with guys like Mike Morin, even though he had a rough go of it against the Oakland A's, and Ty Duffy and guys like that. So for that reason, we're going to be riding with the plus price here of the Texas Rangers, and we're going to be taking this total under. Would like to see if I'm able to get a little bit of a better price here on the Rangers. I would like to see if this total climbs a little bit, since we've been noticing a lot of steam coming in on overs with the Minnesota Twins all year long. 915-916 on the bank rotation. The Toronto Blue Jays play host the Baltimore Orioles. Andrew Kashner goes for the Baltimore Orioles. Mr. Clayton Richard on the bump for the Toronto Blue Jays. Your total on this game is 11. Under as you said, anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. The over is anywhere between minus 110 and even. If you like the Orioles, you're going to be getting a plus price between plus 127 and plus 130. The Baltimore Orioles are laying anywhere between minus 137 and minus 145. It is absolutely incredible what Andrew Kasher has been doing so far this year. 
According to our friends at Odd Shark, if you put $100 on every one of his starts, you're up $1,091. The second most profitable pitcher we'll be getting into a little bit later is Lucas Giolito at plus 947. But if you bet the Baltimore Orioles in every game that he hasn't started, well, you're down nearly $3,000. So... There is that. And with the Toronto Blue Jays, there's just not a lot lot you could say good about Clayton Richard. He was able to get the win on Monday when he was going up against the Kansas City Royals, but this is still a gentleman that has given up three-plus earned runs in each of his last four starts. He has not made it out of the fifth inning of any of those starts, and in 37 and third innings, he's given up eight home runs. So he's given up nearly two home runs per nine innings, 17 walks to go with it, 651 ERA. Meanwhile, Casher, 8-3 record, 403 ERA. He had by far his best pitching in the month of June. He's giving up right around 1.1 home runs per nine innings as well. 29 walks are a little bit high, but he is facing off against a Toronto Blue Jays team that has been not necessarily hitting for average at home, but they have gotten so hot going into Friday. They had scored five or more runs in 12 out of their last 13 games, and they're led by a lineup of so many guys that have between 14 and 16 home runs. Falling in that neighborhood, Freddie Galvis, Justin Smoke, Randall Gritchick, Rowdy Telez. Now the problem with a lot of these guys is that their batting average is not very good. Telez, Smoke, and Gritchick all hitting below a 230. But then you've got Freddie Galvis, who is hitting a 271 himself. Eric Sogard doing a great job of being able to set the table for this team. He's hitting nearly a 300, 373 on base percentage. Flyer Guerrero Jr. certainly has up in the masher that we thought he was going to be. 245 average. He's got eight home runs since getting called up to the big leagues. But Danny Jansen all of a sudden has gotten hot with the bat as well. You've got to give him a lot of credit. Now, you do have guys like Teoscar Hernandez and Brandon Drury that are hitting below a 220, but they have certainly been coming on. Then you've got the Baltimore Orioles, though, who do have some good bats out there. Renato Nunes has been doing a great job of being able to go deep 19 times. He's hitting nearly a 240. Chance Sisko and Jonathan VR are both hitting a 260. Anthony Santander closer to a 270. You do certainly have the famine bats with this team. Chris Davis, Richie Martin, Keon Broxton, and Stevie Wilkerson, all guys are in a 225 or lower, but Rio Ruiz has picked his average up to a 235. You've also got Trey Boomo Mancini. You cannot forget about this guy because he has a batting average that's just below 300 to go with 17 home runs. And Dwight Smith Jr., seeing a dip in his average, he's only getting a 240 and he's not trying a lot of walks, but I do think that the Baltimore Orioles are going to be able to get the job done against a bad starting pitcher in Clayton Richard, to say the least. I will say for the Toronto Blue Jays, their bullpen, aside from that game a few days ago against the Boston Red Sox, has been looking a little bit better. And the Baltimore Orioles, ever since going up against the Cleveland Indians last week, they have seen some improvement in their bullpen as well. So for that reason, riding with the under, and you just don't lose money whenever you're taking a profit. So for that reason, going to be riding with the Baltimore Orioles, just in wait and see mode on both these numbers, trying to see if I'm able to get a little bit more since this total did wind up opening up at 10. 917, 918 on the bank rotation. The New York Yankees are on the road facing off against the Tampa Bay Rays. Blake Snell goes for the Rays. CC Sabathia for the Yankees. Your total on this game is 8.5. Over and under, both at minus 110. If you like the Yankees, plus price here is between plus 130 and plus 134. Meanwhile, if you want to lay it with the Rays as anywhere between minus 140 and minus 145, this is just a spot where I've got to be fading Blake Snell. The last time he faced off against the New York Yankees, ironically enough, it was against CC Sabathia as well. He wound up giving up six runs while recording one out. Now, he certainly did look better in his last start, but he, for the year, still just looks awful. 5-7 and seven record, 487 ERA, the 117 strikeouts is nice, but 
he had one of his last four starts of the month in which he gave up fewer than three earned runs. He just had one of those four starts in which he even made it past the fourth inning. I mean, against the Texas Rangers, he looked good. Six innings pitch, he had 12 strikeouts. He gave up two earned runs. Past that, in recent form, he has just been absolutely awful. Meanwhile, CC Sabathia, he certainly has his problems with the long ball. He's given up 15 of them in 69 innings so far this year, but 404 ERA, 5 and 4 record. In his last two starts, he's went a combined 12 innings, giving up three runs. Now, before that, in the month of June, things were certainly herky jerky, but in the month of May, just one start in which he gave up more than three earned runs as well, and we know this with the Yankees. I know that Aroldis Chapman certainly blew the save a few days ago against the Tampa Bay Rays, but he. Zach Britton, Tommy Canley, Adam Adovino, all very good bullpen arms. And we know that the Tampa Bay Rays certainly do have that as well. But guys like Alvarado and company have been letting this team down. And with the Yankees, one of the best over teams out there in the big leagues. And it's all led off by that man, Gary Sanchez, and the way that he's able to go yard. 23 home runs so far this year. He has a batting average as hovering right around a 260. Gio Urshela, DJ LeMahieu, and... Cameron Mabin are all hitting above a 300. D.D. Gregorius is hitting just below that himself. Now you do have Brett Gardner, Austin Romine, and Aaron Hicks all hitting below a 240, but you even got Edwin Encarnacion getting things going with the bat. Only a 225 batting average, but he has won deep 25 times so far this year, and Aaron Judge is back in the fold, and he's hitting nearly 290. Meanwhile, the Tampa Bay Rays just got a bunch of guys hitting between a 280 and a 290, and they've been supplying a about 12 to 14 home runs apiece. Tommy Pham, Austin Meadows, Yandy Diaz, Brandon Lowe, and obviously Garcia all in that neighborhood. You've got Kevin Kiermaier and Willie Adams both hitting between a 245 and a 250. Getting some inconsistent at-bats out of guys like Joey Wendell, Mike Zanino, and Travis Arno. They're all hitting below a 210, but Michael Brassell has been a nice call-up for the team. He's hitting just below a 380, which is very impressive. And Nathaniel Lowe, whenever he's in the lineup, has provided some good at-bats. He's hitting a 270, but I do think that this is a spot where the Yankees are going to be able to take another one from the Tampa Bay Rays. And I just think that Blake Snell, in his current form, is a guy that you've got to be fading, even though he did have that nice start a few days ago against the Texas Rangers. So for that reason, riding with the Yankees and the over, currently Wayne Seamode, I'm seeing them continuing to climb with regards to their number, and this total actually opened up at 9 and it zipped to 8.5, so perhaps I can maybe get an unjuiced 8.5 when it's all said and done. 9.19, on the bang rotation, the Detroit Tigers play host to the Boston Red Sox. Rick Porcello goes for the Boston Red Sox. Meanwhile, for the Detroit Tigers, it is good old to be determined, which means that this game is off the board. Looks like it's going to be Jordan Zimmerman. I said that yesterday, but I think this time it is actually going to be the time. I'm going to keep this short and sweet because I broke him down yesterday. 0-5 record, 536 ERA for the year, but he certainly has looked better since coming off the injured list. In his three starts since coming off there, he has went 4-5 and 6 innings, gave up three runs in the first start, three runs in the second start, just one run in six innings against a pretty good Washington Nationals team in the third start. Meanwhile, Rick Porcello in his last start against the New York Yankees in London did not go as planned. 5 and 7 record, 507 ERA. You take that London start out of the fold. Well, it's still not very good because in the month of June, he wound up giving up in starts that weren't out in London at least four runs in three out of those five starts. So I certainly do think that runs are going to be a plenty. And with Rick Purcell, 30 walks and 94 innings ago, 13 home runs. But with the Boston Red Sox, you certainly have the bats going J.D. Martinez and Xander Bogars, both hitting between a 295 and a 304, a combined 34 home runs between them. Rafael Devers hitting above a 325 for this team. He has went deep 15 times. You have to like the way that Christian Vasquez has been picking it up with the bat as well. He is hitting just below a 
300. Michael Chavis has been a very good player for this team as well. He is hitting a 265. He has pounded out 15 home runs. Jackie Bradley Jr. and Eduardo Nunez have both lifted their average above a 230. And then you also have Mookie Betts, who's been struggling a little bit. He and Andrew Benatendi both hitting between a 265 and a 270, but he still is able to supply some power as needed. And with the Detroit Tigers, their bats have certainly been sleepy, but they do have a couple guys that have been called up that have been doing a better job. Victor Reyes hitting above a 300 and a very limited amount of at-bats. Harold Castro in the realm of a 275 to a 280. Nick Castellanos has upped his average to a 283. And then you've got Miguel Cabrera, who has a 301 average himself. Brandon Dixon right now leads the team in home runs with 11, which is pretty sad and has a 240 average. Nico Goodrum, though, has lifted his average to a 245. But then you've got Jaimir Candelario, Jordan Nix, and Jordy Mercer all hitting a 210 or lower and Christian Stewart has been in and out of the lineup. He's hitting below a 230 himself. So for that reason I do think that we're going to see runs of plenty with the Detroit Tigers. Their bullpen has actually been pitching much better recently with guys like Buck Farmer, Victor Alcantara and Shane Green doing a solid job but I do like the bullpen of the Boston Red Sox with gentlemen like Matt Barnes, Marcus Walden. Looking at the Boston Red Sox on the run line just because I don't have a lot of faith in that offense and I'm going to be taking a look at this total over because I do think that the Red Sox, one of the best teams with regards to the over in the big leagues, just continue their hitting ways. 921-922 on the bang rotation. The Houston Astros play host the LA Angels. Andrew Heaney goes for the Angels. Garrett Cole for the Houston Astros. Your total on this game is ranging between 8.5 and, and 9. On the 9, the under is minus 125. The over is plus 105. On the 8.5, your over is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The under is anywhere between even and minus 105. If you're looking at the Angels, your plus price here is plus 180 across the board. If you're looking at the Astros, laying $2 across the board. That makes things nice and easy. I went through Andrew Heaney yesterday because we thought we were going to be getting a little bit of a different starter than we did with the LA Angels, which I've been finding has been happening a lot, but let's take a look at Garrett Cole first because we went through Heaney yesterday. Garrett Cole, 8-5 record, 328 ERA, 109 and two-thirds innings, 161 punch outs. That's over 12 and a half strikeouts per nine innings. He has an issue though. He's given up 17 home runs, which is right around 1.5 home runs per nine innings, maybe a little bit less. I will say though, in the month of June, absolutely stellar. In all six of his starts, he wound up going at least six innings in every one of them. He gave up two runs in two of them. He gave up one run in the other four. Now, in the month of May, he had a couple hiccups. He gave up four runs to the Kansas City Royals and six runs to the Chicago White Sox. And in those starts, he didn't go past six and a third innings, but he looks to be in great form. Meanwhile, Andrew Heaney, he seems to be finding himself, certainly has a problem with the deep ball, 36 and two-thirds innings. He has given up nine home runs, but in the month of June, in two out of his last four starts, he's given up just one run. Now the bad news is he's given up five runs in three out of his last five starts as well. So he certainly has been a yo-yo pitcher, but it does feel like the Houston Astros are struggling a little bit with guys reacclimating to the to the lineup like George Springer and Jose Altuve. A man that is not struggling though, Alex Bregman, 267 average, 23 home runs, 55 RBI. Michael Brantley has been doing a great job of being able to get on base all year long. He's hitting above a 300. Miles Straw has been a nice find for this team, hitting right around 300 himself. Then you've got Robinson Torinos, Tony. Kemp and Tyler White all hitting below a 235 for this team. Jose Altuve, who I just mentioned, is hitting right around a 260. But then you do have Jordan Alvarez, who in a limited amount of at-bats has been hitting right around a home run every 10 at-bats. And Yuri Gurriel is hitting a 275. Josh Reddick is hitting a 295. But with the LA Angels, despite the fact that they no longer have Tommy LaSalle at the leadoff spot, they certainly do have a lot of power. Cole Calhoun and Albert Pools have a combined 30 home runs. Both these men are hitting between a 234 and a 240. Jonathan 
Mukray is hitting at 231, which has been a little bit of a sinker, but you do have Daniel Fletcher and Brian Goodwin both hitting above a 280, and Edrelton Simmons is hitting at 285. He's back in the fold. Joey Otani's hitting above a 300, and then you got like what Mike Trout is doing. 25 home runs, 62 RBI. He's hitting just below a 300, and then you also are getting some decent production out of Lewis Rangifo. This is a spot, though, where I do think that the LA Angels are going to be able to get that deep ball working. I think that Garrett Cole's kryptonite comes back to hit him here, and the Angels, we all know that they're playing with a lot of emotion. The bullpen that had been so shaky all year long has looked much better ever since the sad and unfortunate news of Tyler Skaggs. And with the Astros, they certainly do have a great bullpen themselves, so for that reason, going to be taking this total under, and I'm going to be taking the plus price here with the LA Angels. Just in Wayne C mode with the Angels price since this line is pretty stagnant. I would like to see if I'm able to get maybe a little bit of a plus price on the under. 923-924 on the bank rotation. The Seattle Mariners play OC Oakland A's. Chris Bassett goes for the Oakland A's. Meanwhile, the Seattle Mariners send out their Marco Gonzalez. Your total on this game is 9.5 with the over and under, both at minus 110. If you like the A's, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 135 and minus 140. Your plus price with the Seattle Mariners between plus 125 and plus 126. I said it before and I'll say it again. Chris Bassett has me hook, line, and sinker in this one. And in the month of June, he was the modicum of consistency giving up three runs in all but two of his starts. And in those other starts, he went five and two-thirds innings, giving up two runs. And he went five and two-thirds innings in four out of those six starts. Needless to say, you know what you're going to get out of Chris Bassett. And one of those starts was against the Seattle Mariners, by the way. So there is that 73 and a third innings. He's given up nine home runs, a 32 walks, obviously an issue. And for Marco Gonzalez, he's actually done a good job of being able to limit the hard contact. 106 and two-thirds innings. He's only given up 11 home runs. And in the month of June, after just getting hit like a pinata against the Angels, giving up 10 runs and four two-thirds innings, he gave up three runs or fewer in his next five starts, going at least five innings in every one of them. That includes a seven-inning start in which he gave up one run against the Oakland A's. But I do think that that's a little bit of an outlier because the Oakland A's, with regards to their batting average, top five in the league against left-handed pitchers. Against righties, they're in the bottom half of the league. And we have noticed the Oakland A's have certainly been heating up with the bat, and it starts with their leadoff man, Marcus Simeon, 269 average, 13 home runs for him. Then you've got a lot of guys that are pounding out right about 15 home runs, Chris Davis, Mark Canna, and Leron Loreno, all of a combined 42 home runs. In the case of Davis and Canna, both are hitting right around a 240. Loreno is hitting a 255. Chad Pinder's right, hitting right around a 250 himself. Jeff Feigley, a 260. And then you got Matt Olson, 250 average, 17 home runs, but that's about a home run every 12 or 13 at bats for him. And then Matt Chapman has really been doing his damage. 261 average, 21 dingers for him. And then with the Seattle Mariners, even though they have sold away a couple pieces, you do still have Domingo Santana, Tim Beckham, and Daniel Vogelback supplying some power. These three guys have a combined 52 home runs. Tim Beckham is not hitting very well, and you've got a lot of guys that have a 235 average or lower. Beckham certainly on that list. Malik Smith, Kyle Seager, Mac Williamson, and Dylan Moore all fall into that neighborhood. But you've got Thomas Murphy and Omar Navarez both hitting a 260 or better at the catcher spot. They combine for the third most home runs at the catcher spot in the big leagues. And for Domingo Santana, 63 RBI himself. J.P. Crawford is hitting a 290. And D. Gordon, 270 average. 15 stolen bases, even though he missed a little bit of time on the injured list. And we're noticing the Seattle Mariners with guys like Garrett Bautista and Matt Caracetti whenever he's an opener, doing a little bit of a better job with the bullpen. And with the Oakland A's, 
the bullpen pitching has actually been quite dynamite recently. You're getting guys like Lou Trevino, Blake Tryon are pitching like they did last year, and I do think that the trend of the Oakland A's being able to hit left-handers is going to continue. I do think that Marco Gonzalez certainly is an above-average left-hander, but I do have to give the edge here to the Oakland A's. So we're going to be taking the Oakland A's in this spot, and we're going to be taking this total under with the under. I'm currently Wayne Seabot, and with the Oakland A's, would certainly like to be able to lay a little bit less if at all possible. We head to the nation's capital for 925-926 on the rotation as it is the Washington Nationals playing host the Kansas City Royals. Glenn Sparkman goes for the Royals. Mad Max Scherzer for the Nationals. Your total on this game is 8.5. Over is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The under is anywhere between even and minus 105. If you want to lay it with the Nationals, this is a whopper. Anywhere between minus 380 and minus 420. Your plus price with the Kansas City Royals, if you are so daring, is anywhere between plus 310 and plus 330. This is a spot where I love being able to take plus prices and everything like that. I can't do it against Mad Max Scherzer. This guy has been absolutely terrific. And we saw the recent work of Glenn Sparkman. Now, you don't want recency bias and anything like that, but he has been absolutely terrible on the road so far this year. This guy is an ERA above six whenever he hits the road. A overall ERA of five. He's given up 13 home runs at 58 in the third innings. The Nationals entered into Friday's play having won 25 of their last 35 games. And with Mad Max Scherzer, he's got the best fielding independent out there in the big leagues by nearly seven tenths of a run. 243 ERA, 122 and two-thirds innings. He's given up nine home runs. 170 strikeouts. That's about 12 and a half strikeouts per nine innings. And then you take a look at what Max Scherzer has done in the month of June. He gave up a grand total of five earned runs in six starts, going at least seven innings in every one of them. Heck, even his last two starts in the month of May, he went six innings in both of those, giving up a combined one run. This guy is just right now on a whole nother planet. The way that he pitches, he really takes the bad bullpen out of the equation for the Nationals, and one that it's actually been a little bit improved. Meanwhile, the Kansas City Royals, I will say that their bullpen is a little bit improved itself, but with the Kansas City Royals, you also have a team that's a little bit all over the place with regards to the bats. You have to like the fact that Whit Merrifield has done a good job of being able to set things up for the team, hitting above a 300. Adelberto Mondesi, the league leader in regards to stolen bases, is back in the fold, and he's got 49 RBI. Alex Gordon has also got his average at a 271. Then you've got Hunter Dozier and Kessler Cuthbert hitting a 290, but you've got a bunch of guys that are letting the team down with the bat. Cam Gallagher, Martin Maldonado, Chris Owings, Lucas Duda, Billy Hamilton, all these guys are hitting a 225 or lower. Nicky Lopez, not much better, a 235. And Jorge Soler, only a 237, but when you pound out 23 home runs like he has, it really does help make up for some things. And with the Washington Nationals, Trey Turner and Adam Eaton at the top lineup have been doing a good job hitting above a 275. And Trey Turner, the league leader in stolen bases last year, Anthony Rendon and Juan Soto, both getting on base at a clip of about 400. And in the case of Rendon, 20 home runs, 60 RBI. Ryan Zimmerman, Brian Dozier, Gerardo Parra, and Jan Gomes are all hitting below a 230, which is obviously hurting. But Ryan Zimmerman coming off the injured list has been doing a decent job of being able to get on. And with the Kansas City Royals, it's just really hard to have any faith in this spot in 
guys like Scott Barlow, who are going to be following up Glenn Sparkman, who's probably going to be giving up a whole bunch of runs. So for that reason, we are going to be looking at the over in this game. We'd like to be able to get more of a juice of minus 110, and we're going to be looking at the Nationals' run line. Currently, I'm seeing the Nationals' run line at minus 175, so certainly would like to lay a little bit less there, but just can't go against Mad Max Scherzer. 927-928 on the betting rotation. The Cincinnati Reds play host to the Cleveland Indians. Shane Bieber Fever goes for the Indians. Anthony DiScalfani for the Reds. Total in this game is 9 with the over and under, both at minus 110. If you're looking to lay it with the Indians, that is anywhere between minus 127 and minus 131. Your plus price with the Reds is anywhere between plus 115 and plus 121. Shane Bieber has had some very good starts recently. He's had two complete games, one of which came in his last start against the Baltimore Orioles. Now, I do know that that's the Baltimore Orioles, but the team was struggling and they really needed it. These two teams also have two of the top seven bullpens in regards to ERA out there in the big leagues, which is probably going to be needed a little bit more for Anthony Scalfani than anyone else. Five and four record, but a 435 ERA in 80 and two-thirds innings. He has given up 15 home runs, so the long ball has been given up there, and Shane Bieber has too. I'll be getting into that in a second, but Scalfani in his recent form actually has been pretty good. Now, the six home runs they gave up against the Milwaukee Brewers, absolutely atrocious, but his other four starts in the month of June, he won at least five innings, giving up a grand total of three runs across those four starts. So, obviously, that's been pretty good. Meanwhile, with Mr. Bieber, 104 and two-thirds innings so far this year. He's given up 16 home runs, which is a little bit high, but 133 strikeouts as well. He's getting about 11.5 to 12 strikeouts per nine innings. In the month of June, he had only one start in which he didn't make it out of the fifth inning and gave up more than two earned runs. That was his bad start against the New York Yankees, but he has been doing a terrific job for this team recently, and the Cleveland Indians seem to have their bats back after they were just completely missing without leave against the Baltimore Orioles over the weekend. Carlos Santana doing a great job of supplying a little bit of everything. 302 average, 19 home runs, 52 RBI. Francisco Lindor at the top of the lineup is hitting a 293 himself. He has went deep 12 times. Orlando Mercado is hitting a 290. You do have Taylor Naquin back in the fold. He's hitting a 267. Now you certainly do have a couple guys that are not doing such a great job with their batting average. Jose Ramirez is hitting a 220, though. The fact that he had two home runs in one of those games against Kansas City Royals was very encouraging. Bobby Bradley, Kevin Ploiecki, both hitting below a 215, but Jake Bowers getting his average up to a 240 is nice. Jason Kipnis has cooled down after a very good start towards the end of June. He's hitting a 235, which is better than what it's been for much of the year. And then you take a look at the Cincinnati Reds. They certainly are not doing a great job with their team batting average, 237 on the year, which is why they played nearly 64.5% of their games to the under, but Eugenio Suarez has been good for this team. 251 average, 54 RBI, 20 home runs. Now Derek Diedrich is a guy that they certainly need to get online. He's hitting right around at 220. He's got 18 home runs on the year, but only one of them came in the month of June. Jose Iglesias is doing a nice job of getting on base. He's hitting a 290. Joey Votto, Nick Senzel are both hitting between a 265 and a 270. Jesse Winker is hitting nearly a 260 himself. And then you've got Yasiel Puig, who's got his average up to a 247, and he's wound up knocking out 19 home runs as well. Jose Peraza, Tucker Barnard are both guys that are hitting below a 225, so they need to work on that. Kirk Casale has done a decent job of getting on base as well, and I do think that this is a game in which both these bullpens certainly are going to be doing a very good job here, and I do think that the Cleveland Indians have the better starter to go with a tremendous bullpen, so going to be on the under and going to be on the Cleveland Indians. Noticing a little bit of steam coming in on the red, so I'm waiting to see mode there and would like to be able to get this total unjuiced if at all possible. As we move 
move on to the final game on the Las Vegas rotation order, 929-930. The Chicago White Sox play host to their inner city rivals, the Chicago Cubs. John Lester goes for the Cubbies, Lucas Giolito for the White Sox. Your total on this game is 9.5, under is juice of minus 115, the over is minus 105. If you like the Cubs, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 110 and minus 111. The White Sox come with anywhere between plus 101 and minus 105 as a price. And I was talking about the second most profitable pitcher in the big leagues being Mr. Lucas Giolito. If you've bet on him in every one of his 16 starts so far this year, you're up $947. Meanwhile, John Lester just doesn't really pitch the same on the road as he does at home. Ironically enough, Lucas Giolito is a little bit better of a road pitcher than a home pitcher, but all in all, he has been doing a very good job so far this year. You take a look at Lucas Giolito. He has put himself in the AL Cy Young hunt. 11-2 record, 272 ERA, 96 innings pitch. He's given up just nine home runs. And other than that bad start that he had, ironically enough, against the Chicago Cubs in the month of June, he has been stellar all year long. He has given up more than three earned runs in just one start since the month of April. Meanwhile, John Lester, a little bit all over the place. 7-6 record in 88 innings. He has given up 15 home runs, 389 ERA. He's getting about a strikeout every inning. But you take a look at the month of June. He gave up three runs or more in all but two of his starts. And the two starts that he had where he didn't give up three-plus runs, both at home. He also gave up three runs the last time he faced off against the Chicago White Sox, not making it out of the sixth inning. And with the White Sox, it really does seem like the bats are coming alive. And it all starts with Jose Abreu, 271 average, 20 home runs, 63 RBI. Tim Anderson has slowed down with the home runs. He was on a tear at the beginning of the year, but still is hitting a 317 to go with those 11 home runs. Luis Garcia and Yohan Moncada as the top of the lineup are now both hitting above 300 in the case of Moncada. He has slugged out 16 home runs. You have a couple guys that are certainly not doing a good job with the bat, to say the least. Jose Rendon, Wellington Castillo, Yonder Alonso, and Daniel Polka, which Daniel Polka right now hitting is 0.22. That is absolutely insane right there, but all those guys are currently hitting below the Mendoza line, but you have to like that Eli Jimenez has certainly been doing a good job of pounding out the home runs. He's got 15 to go with his 243 average. James McCann hitting just below a 320 himself. Yomer Sanchez has his average up to a 256. Charlie Tilson hitting in that neighborhood as well. And Ryan Cordell hitting right around a 235, but all in all, things have been going well for him. Meanwhile, with the Chicago Cubs, Javi Baez has certainly been supplying some boom. 22 home runs, 288 average, 60 RBI. Wilson Contreras is hitting a 294, 18 home runs, and whenever his understudy in Victor Carantini is in the lineup as well, he's hitting above a 275 just with a little bit less pop. Kyle Schwarber has not been doing a great job with the average, just a 231, but home runs certainly have been there with 18. You have to like the fact that Anthony Rizzo has been a solid man at the middle of the lineup as well. He's hitting a 270. He has went deep 19 times. You've got a lot of guys that are hitting right around a 250 for this team as well. David Bode, Albert Almora Jr., and Edison Russell all hitting in that neighborhood. And then you're also now getting a little bit of something out of a very unlikely infield spot in Robel Garcia. He had his first home run of his career against the Pittsburgh Pirates a couple days ago. Looked very good there. So I'm very intrigued to see what happens in that spot. And with the Chicago White Sox, the bullpen has been a little bit shakier recently, but guys like Aaron Bummer, Evan Marshall, and company still doing a good job. And with the Chicago Cubs, even though the bullpen has been up and down, they still have a top 10 bullpen ERA themselves. You got to think that Craig Kimbrell is going to be able to find himself. And I do think that Lucas Giolito once again turns a gem. So for that reason, going to be going with the White Sox and the under in this spot. 
just some wait and see mode as to what numbers I'm going to be able to wind up with there. And that will do it for the Saturday edition of MLB Overtime Betting. A big thanks to our guest, Monique, a.k.a. the Parlay Queen, for joining me in the second segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. If you ever have a question for the podcast, feel free to tweet it in at GNRSquarty1. And let's make today a successful, profitable, and fun one. I'll talk to you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.